Ladies and gentlemen, it's great that you're here. You've made a priority in your busy weeks of coming here to worship Jesus. Some of you have come to find a girlfriend, I know that, but <laughs> nothing wrong with that, it's quite normal. But you're, you're mainly here to find God, aren't you? <laughs> One of the big questions that sometimes people ask about churches like us is, why do you spend such a long time singing? In your services. What's all that about? Tonight we want to think about the priority of worship and say, why do we worship and what is worship in any case? Um, back in the day, a few years ago, when I was, well, quite a long, many years ago actually, I was part of another church, I was preaching on worship and I gave a magnificent sermon. I explained what worship was, I explained how it could be used to teach and educate the church as catechesis. I said it was spiritual warfare. I, you know, I said a whole lot of things about worship. And I noticed my wife in the congregation gently crying. And I thought the spirit is moving on her. <laughs> She's deeply touched. When I got home, she, wow, she said, David, you missed it completely. I was so upset. What's worship about? It's about loving God. You never mentioned it. She's absolutely right, isn't it? Why do we worship God? Because Actually, we worship because our faith is not an intellectual belief. Now, there's nothing wrong with having an intellectual belief. The bad news is, as the book of James says, do you believe in God? Good. The devils believe in God and tremble. You know, believing in God, you know, actually having a worldview that's got God in it, is not what it's about. It's about a love relationship with God. Christianity is a relational business. We love God. In fact, the first and greatest command, that was one of our sermons a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's the holistic love from all of us. And the reality about God is that God is a lover. And the reason we worship God is God has been seeking us. So there's just those two verses, if there's that PowerPoint comes up and let it roll. Um, Emma Duke says, as, as you feel right. Um, what does that say? Yeah, good. So this is what Jesus, Jesus said about worship. He said, the Father is seeking true worshippers, worship, people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And, and Jesus is seeking us because he is the lover of our souls. We sang that song, a thousand million, whatever it is. You know, we talked about God seeking, loving, not leaving the one behind, loving us all. And because he loves us, we love him back. And worship is one of the ways in which we keep our love for God fresh and keep it alive. So let's just unpack what worship is. First time the word worship is used is right back in the book of Genesis, Genesis 22, verse 5. And um, in that, that's the story of where Abraham, Abraham goes to actually sacrifice Isaac, his son. And he says, we're going to go and worship. Uh, and Abraham sensed that God was calling him to give the most precious thing in his life back to God. Now, we know, actually, that in that story, God was just actually revealing his own heart. Abraham was never going to be required to give his only son that he loved 
But God himself was going to do that. He was revealing the heart that he had. But it was an act of worship where Abraham was actually willing to give everything for the God who was actually willing to give everything for Abraham. But that's the first time the word worship is used in the Bible. And first times when words worship, when, when words are used in the Bible, are quite instructive. It sets a bit of a framework for everything else. So we've got to understand that worship is about sacrifice. That's, that's one reason why the Bible calls worship a sacrifice of praise, an offering that we make to God. And we are not required to make physical sacrifices of animals like was the practice of Old Testament worship. But we're called to do an even bigger act of, of sacrifice than that. It's about giving ourselves to the God who's given himself to us. Romans 12 verse 1 says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And it's also in that honouring and self-giving Something where we actually, because we can never outgive God, whenever we give to God, we find that we get back. Even back in the Old Testament, when they made their sacrifices, it turned into a big banquet very often for them to enjoy. God, we're going to give you a sheep. We're going to give you a, a, a lamb. We're going to give you an ox. Right, God says, well, let's have a party. You enjoy it. <laughs> and when we give ourselves to God, what we find is that it increases our capacity for God to give to us. Back in the um, last century, there was an archbishop called William Temple. He said this about worship. I'm going to read the quote in full because it's a, it's a great one. Worship is to quicken, that means to bring alive, the conscience by the holiness of God. To feed the mind with the truth of God. To purge the imagination by the beauty of God. To open the heart to the love of God and to devote the will to the purpose of God. You know, that sounds a little bit to me like loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And that sense that if we're coming to God in worship, this will be the fruit of worship. That actually our conscience will be more sensitive to good and evil, to sin, to wrongdoing. We're less likely to choose to do those things that actually will go away with a bigger vision of God and his truth. And our imagination, not just our intellect, but our imagination will kind of grasp something of the beauty of God, will open our hearts to his love. And that will make, make that we will making choices, discipleship choices, to devote our will to him. Worship is good for our discipleship. One of the things that we, we love about Wood is we love being small church as well as big church. And, and small church is our midweek communities. And I'm part of a couple of midweek communities, and in one of our midweek communities, there's a lovely lady called, called Tina Harding, who, who, and she, she just loves Jesus. And last time we were together, she said, don't you just love him? She's really Bristolian. Don't you just love him? And I thought, yeah, Tina, you really love God, don't you? And we all want to have that kind of relationship. It's a heart of worship that stimulates that love for Jesus. So... If that's what worship is, if it's a place of sacrificial self-giving in which there's a dynamic where as we give ourselves to God, we find that he gives himself to us and he reorientates and recalibrates our lives around following him. Worship has a rhythm of recalibration. 
in our eight o'clock service, eight o'clock in the morning is a great service down the crypt. You're all welcome. But um, we often say a liturgy down there, and we say uh, we ask the question, the liturgy: Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart? And the response is, Amen. Lord have mercy. Do you love the Lord your God with all your soul? Amen. Lord have mercy. And, and the reason we, we do that is we're recalibrating our lives, saying, yes, I do love God. I want to obey that commandment to love him. But we say, Lord, have mercy, because we recognize also that we fail to do that. And that our hearts and our appetites are wayward. We go all over the place at times. But Sunday by Sunday, we come back to worship and we reorientate ourselves. Do you know, a weekly rhythm of restoring relationship is so helpful. Actually, in my marriage, we have a date night once a week because a weekly rhythm of prioritising one another is really good for our relationship. It's an irreducible minimum. And, and I want to suggest, actually, that, that without a weekly rhythm of worship in our lives, it can, it can mean that our, our love for God doesn't sustain in the way it's designed to. And where, where God gives us a place of, of Sabbath, of fellowship with him, of rest and refreshment, of prioritising him, not because he's needy, but because we are. And actually, we need that rhythm for our own well-being, but particularly for our well-being relationship with God. So I want to commend you, those of you who make a, a real pattern and, and rhythm of worship, particularly one in seven rhythm. But how, how do we worship God? And, and, and what, Well, here at Woodies, we worship God around some values, and I'm going to share some of our worship values with you. The first thing is, we want to worship God with non-religious Christianity. And, um, you know, I find that I can get religious quite quickly. And what I, th what I think religion does, it kind of replaces the real thing by some rules and formulas. And I, I don't know how many of you are in love at the moment. You know, maybe you're in a romance right now. And probably, if it gets very formulaic, if you kind of think, right, I'll just put in my diary, I really need to text her at 10 o'clock in the morning. Or, I mean, I'm not suggesting that's not a bad thing to do, but if it's just that, you know, if it's just kind of, or you've got that ritual, I always say that. I mean, and maybe it's fine, but it may indicate there's something that the first love that's passionate and creative and desperate to be with the beloved is a bit missing. It's gone a bit cold. It's gone a bit formulaic. And um, I, I think that can happen to us, you know. And I think that when it happens, when, when religion happens to us, it can become a little bit ugly because it can become a bit legalistic. It can be a bit rule-driven. It can be a bit judgmental of other people who don't do things the way that we do. It can be about institutionalizing things that are meant to be life-giving. So we want to have non-religious Christianity in this church, you know, and, and Jesus was just so non-religious, wasn't he? And when, when you read the Gospels, and I hope you do, and I hope you enjoy the Gospels, but Jesus is like a breath of fresh air going through a religious culture. You know, they were so religious in Jesus' day that he would do a miracle on the Sabbath in the synagogue, and they said, you can't do that, you can't heal someone. Jesus said, look, guys, you, you're missing... It's the Sabbath. What better day for someone to get their healing? He said about a woman who was healed on the Sabbath. 
This woman who Satan has bound for 18 years is being set free on the Sabbath day. You should be rejoicing, not criticizing. But the religious spirit is really unhelpful. We want to be non-religious. And actually, that's why we don't wear religious clothing. Why we, um, we have a relaxed and informal approach. That's not because we want to be casual, but because we want to be accessible. And I suppose that's the second thing about our, our worship. We want to welcome unchurched people and new believers and not hinder them from finding the Lord. So we want our worship to be deep, but we also want it to be accessible, which might mean from time to time explaining things and actually valuing the person who's visitor. And if you're a visitor to, tonight, we value you. It takes courage to go into a strange building to experience a kind of culture that may not be your comfort zone. But we want to say that you're so welcome. And we hope that in our worship, you will encounter the things that we seem to be encountering, which is the presence of God and a relationship with him. And that's the third thing about worship. It's about intimacy. We want to address the Lord with love and adoration, to draw near to him, not just talk about him. And there's two kinds of, of hymn or worship song. There's a hymn about God, and there's a hymn to God. And anyone can sing the song about God. I can sing um, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise, In Light, Inaccessible, Hid From Our Eyes, Most Blessed, Most Glorious. You know, I can see those kind of things. It's theology, and it's true, and it can do me good. But it's, a little, it's not so easy for me to sing, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Because it's easy for me to talk about God, but when I talk to him, it searches me. Do I love God? Do I really love him? Can I say that face-to-face worship? And intimacy in worship isn't so much about style. It's not whether the worship is quiet or loud. It's about whether it's face-to-face worship or not. And here at Woody's, it's not that we want to kind of have all our kind of songs like Jesus is my boyfriend kind of songs. Sometimes worship is kind of... um, caricatured, but we do want to have honouring but direct worship to God. The most common word for worship in the New Testament is proskuneia, which means to kiss toward. And for me, I see that as a time of intimate homage. I can imagine a ruler kind of, you know, extending his hand and a subject taking his hand and, and kissing the hand, which would be a very intimate but also very reverential gesture. And somehow we're combining reverence and intimacy when we worship God. We're not casual about God. He's the one who made everything. He's awesome. And yet he invites us to draw close to him in intimacy. He is our father. We are his children. He is the lover of ourselves. He does address us together as his bride. The church is the bride of Christ. I'm not, but we together are the object of his affection. So we have intimate worship. And then we want to have worship that is naturally supernatural. You know, I believe that um, the Holy Spirit is the best worship leader out there. Because the Holy Spirit really gets who the Father is and gets who the Son is. And, and Jesus said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to, to remind you of what I've taught you and to, to be with you and to, 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 to bring my presence to you. And, and the Holy Spirit helps us to worship. You know, I find sometimes in worship, something bubbles up within me. It might be tears sometimes. It might be a gift of the Holy Spirit. But I think the Holy Spirit is helping my spirit come alive. And we, 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 we love it if as worship teams and worship leaders and congregations, we can tune in to what the Holy Spirit is 
telling us and revealing to us about the Father. So we're looking for that. And in that context, sometimes supernatural things happen, including things like healing or deliverance from things that bind us, things, powers of evil getting broken in our lives or, or prophetic words and pictures coming to us. And we want to be expectant for that kind of thing because the Holy Spirit is here helping us to worship and let's look out for what he's doing in, a, in that naturally supernatural way. So it's not religious language and maybe a bit below the radar a little bit, but we, we believe in it and we want to welcome the Holy Spirit. We say to you, Holy Spirit, come. Tonight, come. We believe that you've already been with us and you've been stirring our hearts. And I, I guess we, we want to have diversity in our worship too and, and diversity has many forms. Honestly, the kingdom of heaven, when the worship happens, there's going to be a lot of diversity there because there's going to be people from every tribe, tongue, nation gathered around the throne of God. So we love it if we can have all kinds of people gathering together to worship. And that's a picture of this new heaven community that we're called to be part of. And I guess also we want our worship to embrace the diversity of human experience. In the, in the Bible, the worship book is the Psalms. And it's sometimes said that every human emotion can be found in the Psalms. Some of the Psalms are really fed up. Some of the Psalms are annoyed with God. A lot of the Psalms carry with them, within them lament. And I want to be able to worship God wherever I'm at. If I'm happy, I want to worship God with songs of praise. But if I'm mourning, I want to be able to worship God sometimes with tears and with, with a question, how long God has, you know. And, and maybe right at the heart of worship is Holy Communion. We don't do that at the moment on Sunday night. We do it on Sunday mornings, alternately 8 and uh, 11. We have that every week, actually. But we will be having it from time to time on a Sunday night. But something about communion at the heart of worship speaks of sacrifice and intimacy and I can come rejoicing to a risen Saviour, but I can come mourning to a crucified Lord. And it can touch us wherever we are. And it can speak of the gospel. And I guess we want integrity in our worship. We want people to worship with integrity. And we want our worship leaders. It's quite a high calling. In, in our church, it's quite a high calling. We want them to have integrity about their lives. And we, we, we want to be honest in our worship. We are not want to just be making it up. Um... And I suppose another thing about our worship is we want, we want there to be a flow. We believe in a flow of worship. Sometimes worship feels to me like it's quite liquid. They're almost like waves of intensity. I don't know if you've experienced that ever. And, and also sometimes worship takes us somewhere. And we might arrive in one state, but we want to leave in a different state. We may arrive frazzled. But we want to leave with a bigger vision of Jesus and having had a place of encounter with him. We might begin our worship in the flesh, but we want to end in the spirit. And our worship leaders use a flow of songs to try and take us somewhere. And our job as congregation is to kind of be led a little bit, to go with that flow, to participate in it. And in that place of worship, to be yielding, giving ourselves to God and welcoming him and re-giving ourselves back to him. And that flow doesn't all have to be music, of course. It can include silence. It can include scripture. And, um, yeah, all kinds of stuff. So that's, that's how, we, how we try to worship. But, but particularly, why so much singing? There's um, just a couple of verses in Ephesians 5, which uh, are going to come up there. 
and says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. I'm just watching you. Um, instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, this call we have to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. I think when we sing a worship song, it's giving the potential for our heart to be engaged with that from a deep place, but also from our emotional soul life to get engaged with that and to be touched and moved by it, and for our mind to be engaged with that because we can process the words and, and, and let them touch and move us. But also our physical energies, our bodies are involved in worship as we stand, as we use our lungs, as we respond to the rhythm of the music. And we cannot just do that on our own. We can do that with a whole bunch of people together. So it allows us corporately to express worship, which is one reason why worship and song are so helpful for us in expressing our love. But, but I also think, actually, the Holy Spirit is very musical. And I think that music is a gift of God. Now, not everybody has the same musicality. And for some people, music you may, you may even be tone deaf and, and worship grates on you a little bit. Music grates on you a little bit. And, and that's, I'm, I'm sorry about that, that we, you, you've probably gone to a different church if that was you, by the way. Because, um, but, and, and our worship is not perfect, of course, and we do have different styles and preferences around worship. But there is something about us singing our songs together. And sometimes, just as we sang tonight a cappella, without any instruments, when I survey the wondrous cross... And there's something in that harmony of our voices coming together which speaks of the work of the Spirit in a deep place in our lives. So we commend singing to you. I talked about the Holy Spirit and worship, and I'm almost coming to land. Um, the Holy Spirit and worship. You know, the book of Corinthians in the Bible, particularly from chapters 11 onwards, is probably the most detailed stuff on worship. And in that book, the work of the Spirit and worship are very carefully detailed and one of the things that we see in in the book of Corinthians is that worship seems to be very, very participatory can we just have those verses up there so this, this, this is the church worship what should we say then brothers and sisters when you come together each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction a revelation a tongue or interpretation everything must be done so the church may be built up if anyone speaks in a tongue Two, or the most three, should speak one at a time. Someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. And two or three prophets should speak, and others should weigh carefully what's said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop. If you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God's not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all the congregation of the Lord's people. Now, how many of you have come tonight prepared to share a hymn with us? Can we sing, our God is a great bit? No, you didn't say that. But you know, can we, or you've got a prophetic word to share with someone, or a revelation or something. Now, the reason you haven't done that is, first of all, because we've not given you permission. You don't feel you're permitted to do that, do you? You think you're being led in worship and you haven't got a contribution. And the reason you feel like that is because the size dynamic of this gathering 
doesn't lend itself well to that kind of worship. I say big church is for inspiration and small church is for participation. But actually participation is really, really helpful. And if we're going to grow a, a naturally supernatural lifestyle, it can be really helpful if we can worship in ways that are participatory. And the best places for those to happen probably are small congregations and our midweek church groups, particularly our pastorates when they gather together in clusters of home groups. And I want to encourage you, if you are in a small group and you're worshipping or in a pastorate, don't try and imitate what happens on Sunday night. Because what happens on Sunday night has a dynamic of celebration. It's a bit like when the people of God would go up for the festival occasions, the large gatherings in the temple. And there would be some trained people and appointed musicians to lead that kind of worship, which was important with a large gathering. Because you don't get a chance to participate. So if the standard isn't reasonable, you're going to be a bit bored or frustrated, perhaps. But in a small group, the key is everybody gets to play. And therefore, we need to kind of find a worship rhythm that allows people to chip in. And when you chip in and bring your contribution, and you sense with the group that there's a harmony about that, that God has given you a gift that just fits in with what he's saying and doing in that gathering... It's fab. And your faith grows. Now, I, I grew up in a tradition, or I, my early, early sort of Christian life was in a tradition where no one prepared a worship set list. We sat around in a big circle, and there would be some singing, but stuff would happen. And, and, um, and people would share stuff. And they're quite long, those meetings sometimes. And sometimes the stuff that was shared was a bit flaky. But sometimes it was like gold. And sometimes you would sense the Holy Spirit dropping spiritual gifts around the... I, I remember being in a room and noticing the Holy Spirit was resting on a woman. And just nudging my nose and said, look, the Holy Spirit's resting on Heather Eakins. Then she suddenly stood up and sang in tongues in a really beautiful way. That kind of stuff actually lifts your faith. But it's best done in a small group. And if you don't feel equipped as a small group to, to have worship in a way that people can participate in, be great to dialogue about that thing. How can we do that? How can we get a place where people can grow, where people can break the sound barrier and bring their verbal contribution out loud? That you get to pray, you get to share your revelation. And, and that will be a learning curve for, for many people, but I think it's a really good one. And I just want to finish um, by asking, what is the fruit of our worship? And there's another verse here from Hebrews chapter 13. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And there should be a link between our worship in here, that's God-centered, and our worship out there, which is blessing God by doing good. How do we give to God? We give to God by giving ourselves to him. But we also give to God by caring for people and loving them, particularly the poorest. In the book of Proverbs says, he who lends the poor gives to God. Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, 
when you visited me in prison, when, when you clothed the sick, when you fed the hungry. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And that's part of our worship, actually. Worship and social action belong together in the name of Jesus. They really do. And part of the fruit of a worshipping life should be, if I've really been worshipping, I should love God more. And if I'm really loving God more, I should love my neighbour more, particularly my vulnerable neighbour, because it's all about going right back to where we started. This is a love relationship. And the command that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, is followed up by the second command, which is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself, Jesus said. So part of the fruit of worship is that we love God more. And part of the fruit of worship is we love our neighbour more. And if worship is not helping the fruit of the spirit of love grow in our lives, then maybe we're not really worshipping. Maybe we're at a Christian karaoke session. Maybe we're, you know, you know how, you, how it is? You kind of, you judge the worship, you score it. That was good worship tonight. What you meant was the singer was good. The guitarist was, was, was handy. You know? Or you enjoyed it. But it's not for you, it's for him. And for them. And the, the real sense is, was this, what was happening in the worship? Do I love God more? Do we love God more? Is our vision for God increased? And is our heart for the world that he loves increased too? That's the end. I'm going to pray. There's an awful lot of love in this building. And it's God's love for you. Matt was saying, you know, that you're, you're, you're loved. God loves you. And he wants you to know that and to be able to relate to him, the lover of yourselves. Father God, we pray that your spirit would help us to be lovers. To be lovers of God with, with the abandon that David had when he danced before you. To be lovers of God, like, actually like your son, who said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I want to please him. And we pray, Holy Spirit, you'd increase our love for our Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, as we are in this place, there's going to be a baptism. And John's here tonight. Where, where are you, John? Are you in the building? There he is. He's over there. And... Uh, He's a new boy, actually. And God's been working in John's life, and he wants to give himself to God in a very public way. We're going to celebrate with you next week, John. But we're going to go back into worship in a minute. So we're going to hand back to the worship to you, Matt. Look, we've, we've talked about worship. Should we do some? Go on, let's hand back to Kat and the team.